Good morning. You're just in time. Welcome to the St. Gabriel Cafe, your sacred space to sip on today's local blend of faithful encouragement. Let's start our day together. Good morning. Come on in, pull up a chair. I am Dave Orsborn. And I'm Amanda Miller, and we are thrilled to have you with us in the St. Gabriel Cafe, our live and local morning show. Cameron Clutter is our executive in charge of caffeine, and two of our friends from the Missionaries of the Precious Blood are with us this morning. Father Steve DeSantos and Father Greg Evers are serving at St. James the Less here in Newark. In Newark, in Columbus. Why did I just say in Newark? St. <laughs> James the Less is not in Newark. It's in Columbus. And we'll share their stories and tell us more about the missionaries of the precious blood. Good morning, Amanda. Morning, Dave. Happy Monday. Yeah, happy Monday. How was your weekend? Um, It was really nice. Yesterday was beautiful, so I um, I took a nice long bike ride. Excellent. Yeah, it was great. Excellent. Can you start us with a prayer this morning? Yeah, in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hmm. Lord, we we praise you and we thank you for another day. We thank you for the your goodness. We thank you for the sunshine. We thank you for all the blessings that you're giving us in each one of our lives. We also thank you for the crosses that draw us closer to you. We ask that you just give us ears to be more attentive to you, Lord, and hearts to love you more. In the particulars of each of our day, be with us in, in those moments that we most most are in need of you, but also surprise us with, with your joy and your love. Help us to meet, meet you in every moment of our day and to see you in our neighbors. We offer all this through the intercession of Mary, and in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Dave, how was your weekend? It was quite nice, quite nice. On Saturday, we had the Sacred Heart Congress going on over at St. Paul's. Yeah. Great turnout. Outstanding. Packed. Okay. Packed. Early start to the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it was beautiful. Bishop Fernandez celebrated the Mass. and. Mm. Uh, started uh, the entire day with a rosary and then mass and then uh, had some time over in the Klinger Center and talked to a uh, to a lot of people. People are enjoying the show, Amanda. That's had so some excellent. Really to hear. nice, some very nice conversations with our friends. Okay. And uh, one lady said she's going into work late now because she wants to. Uh, I'm so to sorry. To listen to the entire show. Yeah. But I'm so honored. <laughs> Yeah, wasn't it nice? Yeah. And uh, yeah, there's uh, even even a, a couple banter fans. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> and they, uh, a number of people mentioned how much they love your opening prayers. Mm, so sets the tone for the day. And mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. yeah, so it's, it's always nice. It was a little awkward standing at the table because- Because your picture was Because there. our picture, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I have to get used to that, I guess. Yep. <laughs> but uh, well, that's excellent. Next get to week, chat with people. Yeah, next Saturday we'll be at the uh, evangelization summit over yeah. at uh, Ohio Dominican. I'm very much looking forward to that. It'll be a very nice mm -hmm. day. So, are registrations still open for that? 
I know uh, they only had a limited amount. Yeah, it was so. close. If you're interested and not registered, give it a try. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, if there are seats available, then then you're in. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, you can just Google uh, Columbus Evangelization Summit and it'll bring you to the right registration place. Tomorrow is election day. That's right. So get out and vote. Uh, Bishop Fernandez gave a, uh, a beautiful homily in uh, pre-recorded uh, video and audio and transcript for all of our parishes mm-hmm. over the weekend. It was um, uh, very clear yeah. on, on the church's teaching mm-hmm. uh, on issue one. And, you know, we have that moral obligation, folks, to get out there and vote. So right. early voting has ended, but the official polling centers throughout Ohio will be open tomorrow. Yeah. So I made it on Friday. That's that, excellent. Yeah, it was a pretty full parking lot and the line was out the door, but all told it only took about 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I, I want to encourage our friends to just keep that day also as a day of prayer. Like we are fighting that spiritual battle. So to remember that prayer is important. Yep. And we're having a special show tomorrow. We'll be joined by two of our Dominican friars from St. Patrick's, Father Stephen Alcott and Father Paul Marich will be with us. We'll pray the rosary together at 8 a.m. and then talk about the Dominican saints mm-hmm. after that. So, yeah, great week ahead. And our friends, Father Steve and Father Greg, are here in the St. Gabriel Cafe. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Father Steve DeSantos is the pastor That's right. of St. James the Less in Columbus. Yes, Columbus. I, there's not one in Newark. So, <laughs> folks, if you go to St. James the Less in Newark, you, you're out of luck. <laughs> no. <laughs> so how long have you been in Columbus, Father Steve? Uh, since June 28th. Wow. Okay. And prior to Columbus? Uh, prior to that, I lived in Dayton where I served as our vocations director okay. for about the last seven years. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And Father Greg, fairly recently ordained. Yes. July 15th of this past this past July, I was ordained. I arrived in Columbus September 1st of last year as a transitional deacon. Ah, oh, praise be to God. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you for answering the call. Mm-hmm. Thank yeah. you. The oil is still wet, we like. Yeah. <laughs> isn't, isn't there a special blessing during the first year of ordination? Yeah, I think I think you get um, some kind of indulgence if you get a blessing from a newly ordained priest from uh, uh, during that first year, yep. if, I, if I remember correctly. Yep. Good. Plenary mm-hmm. indulgence. We'll, All right. We'll, we'll get you on the way out. <laughs> we'll do. We'll do, certainly. Right. So, uh, Father Steve, tell us about the uh, Missionaries of the Precious Blood. Sure. So, we are um, a small community. We're about 500 men worldwide, and we are um, in about 20 countries. Um, our our men here in the United States would probably be one of our three largest provinces. We're, we're about a little over 100 here. Uh, founded by St. Gaspar de Buffalo back in 1815 in Italy, really initially as a response to Napoleon and all the havoc that Napoleon had wrecked in what is now Italy, but at the time was the Papal States. Mm -hmm. Um, After Napoleon was pushed out and priests who had been exiled for not taking the oath were allowed to come back to Rome, uh, the Holy Holy Father, the Bishop of Rome, asked him and some of his friends to begin this ministry 
of going out and preaching to the towns that had not had priests for several years. Um, and that's, that's the birth of our congregation. And today the church celebrates all the Jesuit saints. Heard a rumor that uh, St. Buffalo, Del Buffalo, wanted to be a Jesuit? Yeah, as a, as a child, St. Gaspar um, was cured um, of an ailment that risked his eyesight um, through the intercession of St. Francis Xavier. So his mother mm. had made sure that he had a devotion to St. Francis Xavier, and so Gaspar desired in, in his heart on some level to become a missionary like Francis. And uh, so one of the jokes we say is Gaspar wanted to be a Jesuit, but the Pope talked him into being a saint instead. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Well played. How, how did Ohio come to have such a, a strong presence of the missionaries of the precious blood? Um, we came to the U.S. at the request of um, then Archbishop of Cincinnati, Archbishop Purcell, um, who needed um, uh, sacramental help with the German immigrants at the time, German-speaking immigrants. And uh, so one of our missionaries in Switzerland at the time, Father... Uh, Francis de Sales Brunner um, heard the call and, you know, took some uh, took some of his priests and brothers with him and helped to establish our first presence in New Regal at first and then eventually traveled westward uh, to West Central Ohio, where we have a really strong presence today. Okay. Well, was that original location in Bellevue by any chance? Is that that's where the Sorrowful Mother Shrine is? No, no. no? That was no? part of the journey westward from New okay. Regal. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that was a little bit later, but not too long after we, we got here. That's mm -hmm. a beautiful shrine. Oh, it's we gorgeous. We love yeah. going up there. And I think uh, it's probably been about a year since I was up there, but my wife and a friend went up in July, and she said all the shrine area, all the outdoor mm -hmm. stations. Uh, stations were recently redone. Yeah, we had we redid the all the um, exterior structure to really protect the artwork of the station itself that's mm -hmm. in there. Yeah, so friends, if you haven't had the opportunity, uh, it's uh, in Bellevue, so use yeah. your favorite map app to uh, to get you there, and it's uh, out in the country in just a very tranquil, quiet area, and how many acres do you think? Um, I mean, it, it's a lot of, it's you a, walk through the woods on right. these trails, and you there's all these the stations. Um, I know that the shrine to Our Lady of Guadalupe is breathtaking yeah there's and, and that's one of the things that makes um the sorrowful mother shrine sort of different than a lot of shrines because there's the main shrine which obviously is to our sorrowful mother but then on the grounds are probably 60 other shrines so there's a shrine to divine mercy there's a shrine to saint isidore um and his wife whose name escapes me at the moment mm -hmm. um <laughs> And so there's just all these little shrines all over the property. St. Isidore the Farmer? Yeah, St. Isidore the Farmer. Whoa, friends Shout listening out. in Athens, St. <laughs> Isidore Media on uh, our new uh, affiliate down in Athens. Oh, wonderful. So, yeah. So that's uh, St. Isidore's farmer wife. Yeah, can't remember so. her name. <laughs> She's in the shrine with him. Okay. Yeah. There's a beautiful, one of my favorite shrines there is, is it's a shrine to the Holy Family. Yeah. And so they're in the center. It's sort of like an A-frame house, and then they're in the center, and then on either side, one side shows you the empty workshop, and one side sort of shows you the empty kitchen. Oh. But the family is in the center of the house. That sounds nice. One of my, one of my favorite shrines on the property, yeah. So, uh, Father Steve, where did you grow up? 
uh, out in the People's Republic of California. <laughs> that would yeah. be Northern California. Yeah, so I'm originally from Alameda, <laughs> which is across the bay from San Francisco. Okay. Grew up there my whole life. Um, I would say till I was in my teens, I didn't know that there were any priests other than missionaries of the precious blood, because those were the only priests I knew growing up. Cause really? They staffed my parish, yeah. Okay. And then... Went to seminary, college, oh, and then? No. Yeah, I went to, so my, my story's a little little convoluted. I, I often tell people I uh, I started ignoring God's call in third grade. Oh, wow, <laughs> that early, huh? That early, yeah. So, um, and I say that because it's, it's shortly after becoming a server, after First Communion, I noticed that during the Eucharistic prayer, the priest um, calls when the priest calls the epiclesis, when the priest calls down the Holy Spirit upon the bread and wine, he then makes the sign of the cross asking that they become the body and blood of Christ. Mm-hmm. And something in me just decided that when he did that, I would bless myself. And if you asked third grade Steve, well, why do you do that? Mm-hmm. I would have said something that is true. Well, all Christians, all Catholics are called to become Christ in the world. And so that's what I thought. I didn't understand as a third grader the intimate relationship between the priesthood and the Eucharist. Mm. Um, So I really now look back at that and see that as a sign um, that God was placing the priestly call in my heart, but I didn't understand it. Then all through, you know, school and high school, people would, people in the parish would come to me and say, Hey, Steve, have you ever thought about being a priest? And I'd say, Oh no, no, no. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm called to married life. And, and I would just sort of blow them off because the lie part of that was that I had thought about it. Mm. And it took until um, I was in my early 30s. So I went to college, got a degree in economics. My dream was to open and operate my own restaurants. And so I was learning the restaurant business by working for other people. Um, And so I was a restaurant manager, and it was Lent, and I was in a men's choir that was going to sing the Exultet that year. And uh, one of my coworkers, who today sociologists would call a nun, no church, no nothing, no anything, we're having a chat about music, and because of what I was doing, I said to her something like, yeah, you know, if priests could get married, I'd probably enter seminary tomorrow. And she says to me, didn't even miss a beat, she says, that's a lousy reason not to do it. Mm. Blown away. Yeah, like a, she challenged you. Yeah, a frying pan to the back of the head. <laughs> and and so then I got a spiritual director and really started praying into this question, and, and the way I describe my vocation is... Um, I came to know that God made me with a hole in my heart that could only be filled mm. by serving his people as a priest. Mm. I was already a lay associate of the Missionaries of the Precious Blood, one of our Precious Blood companions. So it was pretty much a given for me that if I was called to be a priest, I'd, I'd pursue it as a missionary of the Precious Blood. Father Steve DeSantos and Father Greg Evers of the Missionaries of the Precious Blood are with us in the cafe this morning. So, so then you went into obviously into into seminary. Yeah. Where, do um does the order have their own seminary or no longer? Think? We participate at Catholic Theological Union in Chicago for our theologate. Okay. Yeah. So that that's a school that was founded in the late '60s, as many religious communities were closing their seminaries. So a bunch of religious orders came together. Uh, and the difference from a traditional seminary is each community still has its own house where the personal and apostolic and spiritual formation of the men is under the care of the director of that community. 
whereas the academic formation and some of the apostolic formation is overseen by Catholic Theological Union. Did you recognize the how special it is to have community? Uh, I, I mean, as, as, as part of the, the missionaries, obviously community is important as it sure. is with any order. Did you recognize the difference, though, between the diocesan priesthood and the community aspect of the missionaries? Yeah, in my own life I did. I mean, I um, was fairly certain for myself as I was discerning whether God was calling me to, a, to be a priest, that I needed to not do it on my own, and that I needed to do it in the context of a community where shared mission and shared life and you know shared goofing off together and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, super important to keeping me sane and healthy. <laughs> Father Greg, where are you from? Originally from Maria Stein, Ohio. Uh, so another, yeah. Yeah, another really yeah. strong presence for the Precious Blood, uh, where My, we're from. Our, our second favorite shrine in Ohio. Yeah, yeah, I grew up about <laughs> 10 minutes down the road from there. That's a beautiful mm-hmm. area as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Wow, and very, very Catholic. Very area. much so, yes, very much. German. Very, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I like to tell people that I went to a quasi-Catholic school. The, the school is uh, technically considered public school, but... 95% of the students and much of the teacher and staff uh, over there at the school are, are all Catholics. So uh, that's my designation, quasi-Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> and what happens on Friday mornings during football season? Uh, the football team actually goes to daily mass, and then they'll have coffee, donuts, and juice in the morning and wow. uh, go off to school and get ready for the game that, that evening. And that's true of all the sports teams. You know, I, was, I ran cross-country in high school, and uh, Tuesday morning was always our morning to go to morning mass. We would have donuts and uh, juice afterwards. That is not like the public schools where I'm from. That's, <laughs> no. I'm so glad you had that experience. <laughs> when did you hear the the call, Father? Um, so I remember the date specifically, the first time that uh, religious life was a possibility. It was April 2nd, 2005. And I remember that date specifically for three reasons. It was my brother's birthday. It was the day that St. John Paul II passed away. Mm. And it was also the day of my grandfather's funeral. And so we were uh, in the funeral, funeral mass for my grandfather. Um, it's storming and raining outside. And uh, the priest is up there giving the homily. And then just randomly in the middle of the homily, he stops. He looks over at me in the front queue and points at me and says, you know, Greg, someday we're counting on you to be a priest. My response was just to sink in my pew and shake my head. No, <laughs> this is not happening. Yeah, it's intimidating. <laughs> well, call, talk about being called out. Uh-huh, very much so, yeah. In front of everyone, too. Had, um, you, had you thought about it before that, or I mean, were you surprised by this? I was a little bit surprised, yeah. Yeah, I never really gave it much thought. Um, you know, and I didn't give it much thought again until a number of years afterwards. Um, you know, I was, I was part of a family that, you know, went to church on Sunday and the— uh, uh, typical feast days, but uh, apart from going to mass on Sundays, you know, faith wasn't a big part of my life. And then we get into high school, and my friends start getting involved in the youth group at our parish, and they start inviting me to come. And initially, I'm like, I don't think this whole Jesus thing is exactly for me. And they just kept saying, "Oh, you'll you'll like it, you'll like it." So I decided, okay, fine, I'll I'll go. And if I don't like it, I don't have to come back. And so I, I came. To, to our first youth group meeting, and I actually found myself really enjoying spending the time with people there, 
And, you know, afterwards, just as time went on, I started kind of looking at how can I make faith a little bit more uh, central to my life. And then, um, so fast forward to the summer after I graduate high school, um, our youth group goes to uh, the big youth conference in Steubenville, Ohio. And for me, that was kind of my first, like, you know, really big kind of church event, you know, seeing how the church is bigger than just my own individual parish that I went to every weekend. Uh, you know, 2,000 plus kids my age coming together to praise and worship God and to come and to grow in their faith, that was really kind of mind-blowing for me. And I, another part of my story is just over the course of that weekend, I felt like the question kind of bubbled up in my mind, you know, what if religious life is for you? What if priesthood is for you? And again, I didn't respond to that question right away. Um, so after after that event, I went to, I started working in a, a weld shop for a couple of years. I went to college and got an associate's degree in agricultural sciences. But over but during that time, that question kept coming up. And eventually I decided if I want to have any peace with this, I have to like take this question seriously and start you know pursuing this. And so I, I approached our pastor who was a precious blood priest, Father Gene Schnipke, uh, who regrettably passed away in March of last March of last year, 2022. Hmm. Um, so just started asking him questions. You know, what's life like as a priest? Um, so he shared his story with me. He served in the Air Force as a chaplain for 22 years. So he had all kinds of interesting stories about the places he's been to. Um, you know, what life was like and the things that he enjoyed doing. Um, and over the course of that time, I got introduced to uh, the community, different members. I got invited to different community events. And just started building relationships uh, with the members there. And eventually in the fall of 2014, I found out pretty much everything I could about religious life from the outside. And I still felt this pull. And that's when I was like, okay, clearly the next logical step is to make application and take the next step. And, uh, you know, fall of 2014, I moved to Chicago and... Uh, you know, had many had many challenges. Kind of formation was was a bit of a challenge in a number of ways. Um, one of the things I like to tell people is, before I left home, I never cooked a single meal in my life. Mom or dad always cooked food food for us. Um, and so my first meal for the house, I smoked the entire kitchen out. Oh, it was no. it was a train wreck. <laughs> but uh, but you know, part of formation though. It is, right? yeah, That's yeah. Right. <laughs> um, but no, it's, it's been, it was, formation was a really good experience for me just to kind of get outside of my own comfort zone and gain some practical human skills and also the spiritual uh, skills as well. And then nine years later, I was ordained uh, a deacon and this past July a priest, and I'm very happy to be here. I love it. I love it. Now, Father Steve, were you the formation director I was during this never time? his formation director. No? Okay. No, I, I became the vocation director, I think, a year into his formation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was on the formation team, but I wasn't technically his director ever. I don't think I knew that the missionaries of the Precious Blood were in Maria Stein. Mm-hmm. So how, how many parishes, is, is there just the one parish in Maria Stein? Um, so in Maria Stein proper, there's one, but there's a bunch of small little towns like St. Rose, Casella, St. Sebastian. Those all have their own chap- own churches as well. So okay. we're... With the new pastoral planning in that archdiocese, it's, there's now eight parishes in one family unit, Christ Our Light, family of parishes. Yeah. So the missionaries then, because you live in community, the, would I be correct that there's going to be at least two priests in each parish? Well, so, no. So, for example, at Christ Our Light, 
family of parishes, there are four priests assigned to that family. Mm-hmm. All missionaries of the All precious blood. All missionaries of the precious blood. Oh, okay. And and three of them live in the parishes, and one of them actually lives at our mother house, St. Charles. And where's that? Uh, it's in Carthagena, Ohio, which is just south of Salina. Okay. About, what, 10 miles south There's of Salina? Something like that, yeah. yeah. Okay, and then how many um, priests are there at uh, the shrine up at uh, Sorrowful Mother? There are two priests and a brother living there right now. Father Jim Seibert, who is the um, rector. Mm-hmm. Father Yuri Kazara, who's a former rector, who uh, serves there as well. He's a bi-ritual priest, so he celebrates the Divine Liturgy there once a week as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Brother Terry Newfer, who does music there for them. Okay. I, I'm still a bit blown away by how many there are in Ohio. I, I had no idea. I knew, I knew you were here at, at St. James the Lesson up at Sorrowful Mother, but these other locations, uh, what a blessing. Yeah, we and we really have, we're, we're lo- mostly in the Midwest. I, I often tell people when they're trying to figure out where we are, mm-hmm. I, I tell them if you, if you drew an imaginary rectangle from Columbus to Detroit to Des Moines to St. Louis, or I'm um, sorry, Kansas City, Mm-hmm. That imaginary rectangle is going to capture ninety-five percent of our men in the United States. We literally have men on both coasts. We have a, someone. In, we have California parish, and in in Orlando, Florida, we have a parish. We have mm-hmm. two parishes. Outstanding, so, Father Father Steve. What does it mean to be a missionary of the precious blood? Wow, thanks for the easy question. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, we are priests and brothers, and. We are particularly committed to this this idea that Jesus took on our flesh and blood uh, for the salvation of all people, um, and he shed his precious blood for the salvation of all people. And, and so that's the primary message, is, is communicating God's message of love to the people and then building up that love in the world and, and getting people to, inviting people to enter back into relationship uh, with God wherever they might find themselves on that uh, on that sort of spectrum that, that people can find themselves on today. Mm-hmm. So then your order has a particular devotion to the precious blood. We do. Um, and what does that look like? So um, obviously it's Eucharistic. So um, in a recent conversation I had with some of our brother priests about who's doing, uh, who's offering the chalice and how frequently now, when it came to us, I literally just said, well, we're missionaries of the precious blood, yeah. so we've been offering the chalice at all of our par- all, of all, all of our Sunday Masses for months already, mm-hmm. um, even, even before the bishop sort of said it was okay to do it all the time. But um, Because that's really important to us, because while you don't receive more of Jesus by receiving from the chalice, there, there's an important piece of the act of receiving from the chalice, taking and drinking, um, that really is um, a fuller act of receiving Jesus. And actually one of the most, and I often tell the story when preaching on this, um, one of the most beautiful moments of receiving the chalice that I ever experienced was before I was ever a priest. I was going to a Sunday evening mass at a local parish, not my own. And uh, they knew I was a communion, an extraordinary minister of Holy Communion. So they came up and said, hey, we're short. Can you, be, can you help with communion? I'm like, sure. So I ended up being a chalice, a cup minister that day, and uh, what happened was this woman came to me. I held the chalice in front of her. I said, the blood of Christ. She said, amen. She took the chalice in her hands. She sort of brought it down to in front of her heart, stared deeply into it for about a second and a half, 
mm-hmm. and gave it back to me. Hmm. She didn't drink from the cup, but she received from the chalice. Um, you know, and, and, and so that's one of the things I often encourage people to do, to just not just walk by the chalice, um, because that's the gift that Jesus has given us. He, he's poured himself out completely for us and wants us to receive deeply from him. That's so beautiful. I love that story. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah that she didn't drink <clears throat> from the cup, but she she received. Yeah, she yeah. fully received. It's like a loving look there. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, and then to finish answering the other question, you know, then there's we have some traditional devotions that um, you know, I'd say in the 70s and 80s sort of died out a little bit, and and some of us are trying to sort of bring back in. Um, one of our community prayers that that we will often pray together is. Um, the seven offerings. So it's just a series of seven petitions that are prayed together um, based on the idea that there are seven times in scripture that Jesus shed his precious blood. Mm. Um, A devotion that I know Cam will have known because I tried to spread it when I would visit Damascus is uh, the chaplet of the precious blood, uh, which is um, a, it's a chaplet in which you pray 33 our fathers meditating on the seven blood sheddings of Jesus Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can do math, you know that seven, 33 doesn't divide by seven neatly. So you pray five Our Fathers on each of the first five, six blood sheddings and three on the final blood shedding. And those are the five sorrowful mysteries plus the circumcision of Jesus at the beginning and the piercing of the sacred side at the end. Okay, so the first blood shedding was at the circumcision? Circumcision, and these are all... Blood sheddings we find in we know from scripture. Okay. So circumcision, uh, the agony in the garden, scourging at the pillar, crowning with thorns, carrying of the cross, crucifixion, and piercing of the sacred side. Okay. What a beautiful devotion. Yeah. Yeah, I've never heard of the chaplet of the precious blood. Where yeah. I guess we could just Google that and find it, or go you, to your website. You could. Um, uh, you could contact me. I have some copies of how to pray it uh, at the parish. And, and so it's a different, and one of the things I think that's super important is, is our spirituality of the precious blood is a little different than, say, if you're familiar with the spirituality of Barnabas, the African visionary. So there's, this, there's a movement that came out of Nigeria, um, this visionary named Barnabas, whose, whose devotion to the precious blood, the way I describe it is it's all Good Friday and no Easter Sunday. Right, so a lot of his prayers are about are focused on, or a lot of those prayers are focused on guilt and and culpability for what happened to Jesus. Whereas I think a lot of what we try and do as missionaries of the precious blood is get people to see the cross uh, not as a place of guilt, but as a place of love. Mm. That that Christ thought of you and me personally and individually as he hung on the cross. Well, and blood is, I mean, the life essence, right? Right. I mean, I, that it's the blood that carries life in in our bodies. So, right, and it's and it it is death when it's outside of our bodies. Mm-hmm. But in this case, the blood of Jesus was shed for the life of all. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. How how far into your vocations? Did you understand that 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 part of the call to become a missionary? 
I mean, was this something that you learned, Father Greg, in, in high school? Like in terms of like uh, precious blood spirituality? Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, no. Uh, what attracted me initially to the community was uh, the members first, uh, how they how they ministered with the, me- with the people of God and just how down-to-earth they were, easy to approach. But I really didn't get familiarized with our spirituality until I officially entered formation started more intentionally praying our devotional prayers and studying some of the writings of some of our own members who wrote on spirituality and also seeing how the members lived that spirituality out. Um, at least in, in my eyes, we have a, a ministry in uh, the back of the yards neighborhood of Chicago um, where a couple of our members uh, work with victims of gang and domestic violence. Um, you know, so, I mean, death is a very close reality for them and uh, working with uh, very wounded families uh, is a very close reality for them. Uh, and also calling, you know, one of one of our sayings is, you know, we see all blood as precious. And that includes the victims of violence, their blood is precious. The, the blood of perpetrators is precious. You know, learning to kind of see with those eyes that all blood is precious. Uh, you know, that in, in some ways that kind of called for a change of mind for me and mm-hmm. also a, a challenge to, uh, you know, approach people with that mindset that you know everyone's blood is precious what do you mean it it was a change of mindset for you um so i think coming from a very rural setting um kind of seeing the realities of like gun violence and and stuff going on in some of the urban centers kind of comes from a filter of um, only seeing kind of the bad things and actually going to chicago and seeing what some of our members have done at the reconciliation center and seeing yes the violence is a reality, but it's a more complex reality. People are kind of victims of cycles of violence uh, that gets perpetuated. And, you know, people being raised in single parent fa- family households. And uh, I, I don't know if what I'm saying makes sense. Um, no, it does. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, kind of seeing the complexity of that reality really kind of opened my eyes to it's, it's not just a black and white issue that we always see on the news. Mm-hmm. It's much more complex. And, and I'd go one step further even, which is to say that even when it is black and white, the blood of that perpetrator is still precious, right? Even when it's super black and white, God loves that perpetrator no less than he loves the victim. Um, you know, and, and that's the reality of the precious blood of Jesus. How, how do you um, act as missionaries then? Um, cause you're serving in a parish, so you'll have all your, all your parish responsibilities sure. and duties, but then in, in what ways do you, um, do you spread this devotion or, or become missionaries of yeah. the precious blood? Yeah. So part of it's in our preaching, you know, how we live our life. Cause we are missionaries, not in the sense of foreign missionaries, you know, Gasper desired to be a foreign missionary, uh, father Brunner, who brought us to the United States, came to the United States out of his own desire to be a foreign missionary. Um, but in terms of our actual spirituality and charism, we're missionaries of the precious blood. We're sent to proclaim the glories and the merits of the precious blood. We're sent to proclaim that love. And so we can do that wherever we find ourselves, um, in a parish, at the shrine, at the precious blood ministry of reconciliation in Chicago, sharing that love in our preaching, in how we interact with the people, um, in what we do, um, all of that 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think in several of our parishes, or in a number of our parishes, really prioritizing the sacrament of reconciliation. Um, we are quite um, excited and sometimes exhausted by the fact that, like on Tuesday nights at our parish, we have um, a time of adoration and then mass. And during the time of adoration, both of us are available for confession. And sometimes the line for confession is longer than we can get to before mass starts. And so we just tell people, it's like, we'll be back after mass is over. And, and we just keep hearing confessions. And sometimes that means we hear confessions for an hour and a, each, an hour and a half or more each Tuesday night because people are coming. In the midst of uh, the pandemic, we... Uh made a trip up to uh, up to the Sorrowful Mother's Shrine and, and called to find out if uh, uh, the Sacrament of uh, Reconciliation was available. Mm-hmm. And the, the priest I spoke to said, absolutely, absolutely <laughs> it's available. It'll be in the parking lot. Yeah. Um, but that was a wonderful experience. It, just kneeling next to Father's car door you know, <laughs> in, 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 in the parking lot just showed... Uh, well, my need for reconciliation, but then also the heart of this priest and, uh, as, uh, an instrument of mercy right. in, in all this pain and all this uncertainty that was happening then that our church is so awesome Amen. and to be right there. And um, we were lining up. <laughs> in, in in the parking lot to uh, to receive that grace. Yeah, it yeah. was beautiful. That, that's actually one of the reasons why back in 2016, um, when Pope Francis announced the Year of Mercy, mm-hmm. uh, I I immediately went to our provincial and said, "Look, this is what he's wanting to do this year. I think we need to get on board with this and try and promote having some of our men become missionaries of mercy, mm. um, because the Holy Father's desire was really to." focus a light on the mercy of God. And that was so central to our charism. I felt that we had to be a part of that. Um, so what, what does it mean to be a missionary of mercy? Uh, two things primarily. Um, one, we're on a big giant list that all the bishops have um, so that they can call upon us uh, for, for, they or their priests can call upon us for one of two things. One would be um, just when people need preachers to preach on the mercy of God. Mm. We make ourselves available for that. And the other is the Holy Father has has given the missionaries of mercy certain special faculties. There are, there are a number of sins that are also crimes under canon law, and those some of those crimes are reserved to the local bishop to be absolved or regularized, and some of those penalties are reserved to the Holy See. So the Holy Father has given to the missionaries of mercy the ability to remit the penalty associated with desecration of the Blessed Sacrament, a direct violation of the seal of the confessional. Um, the one I always think it's funny to read is, attempting to absolve your accomplice in a sin against the Sixth Commandment, um, a sin that can only be committed by a priest. Um, so it would be if a priest had intimate relationships with someone and then tried to hear their confession and absolve them of their sin, uh-huh. he is automatically excommunicated by virtue of that. Same if breaking the seal of the confessional. Um, said just laying violent hands upon the Holy Father. Sort of weird that anyone out here would run into that one. Um, and then the newest one is um, recording a confession. 
neither the priest nor the penitent is allowed to record the confession. It's actually a new crime under canon law. And, and so they can come to a missionary of mercy, and if, if they th believe they've committed one of those sins and incurred one of those penalties, we can remit that penalty um, in the confessional. We don't have to refer them to the apostolic penitentiary. <laughs> that, what, what a sign of the times, huh? <laughs> that you would record uh, confession. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Probably not a good idea to bring a device into the confessional to start with. Correct. Right? <laughs> One of the reasons I wear a wristwatch. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to bring my phone in to know what time it is. Father Steve, Father Greg, we're, we're talking about the missionaries of the precious blood and, and your charism and whatnot. And Father Steve, you had just said your being a missionary of mercy is you thought that was important because it's very connected to your mission as a missionary of the precious blood. Could you mm -hmm. make that connection for us? Sure. Uh, the precious blood is the sign of Christ's love and mercy for the world. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Christ shed his precious blood uh, to free us all uh, from uh, the penalty of our sins um, and to bring us all his mercy. Uh, you know, and so the idea that the Holy Father wanted to promote the message of mercy and that the Holy Father wanted to promote the sacrament of reconciliation and make it easier for people who were in difficult situations to experience God's love and mercy in a pastoral way um, just made total sense to, to, to me because that's what Jesus wants. Mm -hmm. You know, I think sometimes just as the sinners that we are, we kind of struggle seeing God's mercy. Oh yeah. Right. Or, or struggle accepting just the beauty of his cross. And so you just, any advice of how maybe we could dive into that mercy or accept that more? Yeah. So, um, you know, we look at the crucifix and a proper crucifix of course has Christ's arms nailed to the cross. Um, but we got to remember that they are there by choice. Mm. Um, there's nothing outside of himself that is requiring him to be there. And so he freely extends his arms for us. And we can think of it as this penalty, or we can think of this as him waiting to receive us mm -hmm. um, into his embrace. Um, you know, there's a story that I heard recently uh, about St. Margaret Mary, which I think is a beautiful story about the confessional. Uh, when her spiritual director was trying to determine if her visions were real or not, or at least what their source was, he, he suggested to her that the next time Jesus appeared to her, to ask him one question. What was the content of my last confession? So the next time she had a vision, uh, she asked him. And he looked at her, and, and I imagine with a bit of a smirk, he looked at her and <laughs> said, I don't remember. Right? That, that is how real um, God's love and God's mercy is for us. Not, not only is the priest not to remember, but the reason we're not to remember, or at least do everything we can to not remember, is because Christ doesn't remember. And it's not like he didn't already know what we did. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's the scene in the story of the prodigal son, uh, where the son is, you know, walking up the road, preparing his speech like all good guilty sons would do. This is what I'm going to say to my father, and the father doesn't even want to hear it he's so excited to have the sun back mm. that that's God waiting for us mm -hmm. 
you know, there's this saying, um, forgive but never forget, which I actually really don't like because just for the reason that you said, Father, is Christ loves so deeply that he just completely forgets. Um, and I, I think, of course, there's something to that human aspect of, of yeah, we shouldn't, we shouldn't let people re-hurt us if they're dangerous for us, right? right? Absolutely. But this idea of, of true love sees the, the other. And true love sees the other, and um, I think part of what the it's, – it's less about remembering and forgetting, and, and it's more about transforming. Mm. So there may be a wound there, um, a wound there that is real and that we don't want to let be repeated. But how can we transform the relationship um, so that we can forgive and, and try to move on because on part, you know, I'm often reminding t- people that forgiving the other is really more about freeing yourself from the wound than it is about freeing the other person because they've probably already moved on. Mm-hmm. Sad to say, they may not even know they hurt you, you know, and so, so often we have to forgive the other so that we can be free. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. Father Steve. The Santos and Father Greg Evers from the missionaries or of the missionaries of the precious blood serving here in Columbus at St. James the Less. How, how long have uh, the missionaries been at St. James? I mean, this goes back. The parish celebrated 75 years last year. Um, and we founded it. Did we? John Byrne? John Byrne was. Okay. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we came to found the parish. So 75 and a half years. Is that um, unusual? I mean, most of, from our discussion, it seems like most of the parishes that, uh, that you guys serve in are rural and now uh, an urban parish. Is that unusual for it, it is in this area? It is and it isn't. I mean, so as, as our community grew mm-hmm. over history, particularly as it grew in the 20th century, um, we had urban parishes, we had deep inner city parishes. Um, right, Chicago, right. Uh, yeah, we actually don't even have any parishes in Chicago. <laughs> We're just present there. Mm. Um, but yeah, like we had parishes up in Detroit and up in Cleveland. Um, and as we've shrunk, we've had to give a number of those back. But yeah, you know, we, we try to serve, we actually consciously try to keep a balance of rural and urban and, you know, and suburban parishes um, to provide care to all the people of God to the best ability that we can. Mm-hmm. Tell us about St. James the Less. What makes uh, this parish unique? Oh, wow. Um, so St. James the Less, jump in here because you've been there longer. Um, <laughs> Maybe <you know>. a year. <laughs> yeah, you've been there longer mm-hmm. than me. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's a beautiful parish. It's in a nice neighborhood. One of the things that makes it unique from my perspective as a pastor is I, I tell people I'm a rarity in the church today. I'm pastor of one parish and one school. Mm. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. Know, which, which is, is wonderful. Um, but it's in a changing neighborhood. Um, so a lot of the people who live in the immediate vicinity around the parish are descendants of the old families who built the parish. So English-speaking immigrant families who came over, you know, or were settling in the suburbs in the late in the late forties, various various European ethnicities, Um, 
But today the parish, um, I'd say about 70% of the people who attend mass there are Spanish speaking. So we have six weekend masses, three are in English, three are in Spanish. Okay. I would say it's still very much an immigrant parish yet. You yeah. Know, we have the, the history of the European immigrants coming over, but now very much immigrants coming up from the south. Uh, so that ha- provides its own uh, unique challenges, but uh, both communities bring many gifts and blessings that uh, we try to utilize as best we can. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly it's a challenge for me with my uh, with my language skills. Uh, my, my Spanish isn't the best, but it's good enough to get the point across and... Uh, to at least celebrate the sacraments, that's, uh, you know, that's kind of where my language skill is at. Yeah, no, you're good, Greg. Is there a requirement, a part of your formation of language? Do you learn a language? Um, it wasn't a requirement, but it's something that we encouraged. Um, yeah. So I, when I was going through formation, I finished my philosophy studies a semester early. And so I couldn't start the next part of our formation program until the following summer. And so our directors and I got together and said, well, you're let's kick you out of the country for a semester. And so I, I spent uh, a semester in uh, one of our missions in Guatemala and that's where I learned uh, my Spanish. And it was, it was good for uh, also to push me outside of my comfort zone. Um, but it also was good just to see the community outside of the U S to see mm-hmm. what kind of ministry they did and how was community life lived. Uh, you know, so that was, that was, that was another very impactful part of my own kind of story coming into my own vocation. Very much eye-opening in many ways. How how is the uh, order structured uh, in the U.S.? Is, is there one like territory, or is there? Yeah, so we are we are currently one province in the one United province. States. So mm-hmm. prior to '65, we were one province. Then we divided into three, and then over the years, those three have come back together into one. Um, and so we're uh, this two summers ago. Yeah, two summers mm-hmm. ago, we became a single U.S. province again. Um, and so we have a single provincial and provincial council who sort of oversee the province and who then would then be the interlocutor with bishops in terms of the places we serve. Mm-hmm. One of the funny stories, uh, back when we had uh, three U.S. provinces, um, at one point <laughs> all three provincials were cousins. Oh. And as it, as it so happens, all three of those are my relation as well. Yeah, they're all his cousins. They're too. all my cousins. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was another funny thing coming into the community. I found out I've got like five or six cousins that are either priests or brothers, and it was like, "Are you? Oh yeah, you're related to this member, this member, this member." I'm like, "Wow." Well, and, and you have like to know this, business, though, right? Almost. I'm sorry. You knew this growing up, though, right? No, I knew my dad had at least one cousin who was, but I didn't know that you know you're related to this guy, this guy, this guy. Oh, and by the way, you had three cousins who were provincials too. Wow. Like, so these are like second all on cousins. Their side. Yeah, yeah, not like immediate, but yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. How funny! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so this is this there's is in the family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's. I will make the joke that up in Mercer County, you can't like bounce a Super Bowl without hitting a hoin. <laughs> and those would be the the family line through which they're all related. That's funny. Wow, and then I mean that's just providential. Hey, yeah. Going back to the. So that date in uh, 2005, right, um, mm-hmm. with yeah. uh, the priest mm-hmm. calling you out. Mm-hmm. Were, are, you, my cousin, are, though. are you related to him as well? <laughs> no. 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 He's from farther north. He's a little bit farther north, guy. yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it. I mm-hmm. love it. So what's your encouragement to young men uh, to take a look at the missionaries of the precious blood? 
Um, I mean, I would say one, you know, we are a uh, community that really strives to make the love of God present to the world. Uh, we are a community that adapts ourselves to the unique reality of the places where we're missioned. One of the challenges I always had as vocation director would people would ask, young men would ask question, well, what's the daily like life in your houses? And I would have to say, well, it depends on which house. Mm. Um, because as a society of apostolic life, how we live community varies from location to location. Um, when I lived in Dayton, I lived in a house of four men who worked in four different places. And so we, uh, we didn't have a common work ministry schedule into which we could fit our community life. Here, there are four of us living at our house. Three of us are all parish staff, and so our life sort of really builds around the parish's schedule. Um, and that, that's the beauty of our style of life, is we, we have a little bit of freedom in, in our ability to adapt to that, uh, um, how we choose to pray together, how we choose to live together, how we choose to eat together. It's going to be different from house to house, which then can also be different based on the people that are in the house. Uh, I would add um, this reality that as missionaries of the precious blood, um, we, we really do try and, and make ourselves aware of, of the larger church and our connection to the world church, connection to our missionaries around the world. Even though we're not primarily foreign missionaries, you know, we follow the lives and, and the ministry of our brothers in other countries. And we have... Um, a number of sister communities that we're connected with as well, mm -hmm. um, part of the Precious Blood family. Well, to, uh, go so, ahead, there, so there is a sister branch. There connected. are several. Okay, <laughs> wow, didn't realize. Yeah, so St. Gaspar del Buffalo, um, during his lifetime, Maria de Matias heard him preach and then was inspired to start a community of sisters. And so um, Father John Giovanni Merlini was assigned to be her spiritual director and uh, she founded the Adorers of the Blood of Christ, which is, an, like us, an international uh, community. They're obviously a community of women headquartered in Rome. Um, but then Father Francis de Sales Brunner, who's the priest who brought us to the United States, uh, he, his uh, widowed mother lived with him when he was in, in Switzerland. And so just as she was living her, her life of faith as a widow, a number of young women began to form around her and they became the Sisters of the Precious Blood of Dayton, Ohio, hmm. um, who are headquartered over in Dayton. Um, then there's the Sisters of the Most Precious Blood of O'Fallon, Missouri, who also have a connection uh, with St. Saint Maria de Matias. So those three are the ones we, we consider closest <coughs> to us. Uh, there's also a community in Oregon, the Sisters of St. Mary of Oregon, who have an, an interesting but long story of how they're connected to us. <laughs> uh, and they're all apostolic? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. None of them. Are. Uh, so the uh, both the O'Fallon sisters and the Dayton sisters at one point in their life had the pract at one point in their history had a practice of perpetual adoration. Sisters taking turns in perpetual adoration, um, in addition to their apostolate. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, now they're all apostolic communities. Today is actually the beginning of National Vocations Awareness Week. It is. So. Well, yesterday. Okay, okay, because of Sunday. Good point, Father. Uh, 
what I mean, what's the, what's the biggest challenges you see at um we we know that god is calling absolutely what's the biggest challenge in the hearing and and, and i think i'll make that uh apply to religious vocation as well as the married vocation or living the christian life what gets in the way of us hearing you want to start um I think the times that I've talked to people about, uh, you know, have you considered uh, becoming a priest or a brother or sister? I think for me, the one of the common responses I've gotten is, you know, oh, I can't do that. I'm not holy enough. I'm not smart enough. You know, God wouldn't call me. And the fact of the matter is none of us are worthy of, of this calling. You know, one of the things I remember in the ordination rite is the bishop asks, has this man been found worthy? And then the director or provincial responds, you know, at the recommendation of the people of God, this man has been found worthy. The truth is none of us are worthy of it, but God still calls us to it anyway. And God gives us the grace that we need to carry out this ministry. And, you know, I had the same kind of response when I was seriously discerning, you know, I'm not holy enough for this. I'm not smart enough for this. And in some ways I still kind of feel that way, but, you know, I, God still gave me the grace and the call to, you know, go. And, you know, I've, how I've learned is, you know, just by doing uh, and actually putting myself in action to pursue this, um, that's kind of how I grew into this calling. And so I, I would be afraid, I, would, I guess I would tell people, don't be afraid, give it a try. Mm -hmm. God will let you know if this calling is not for you. Amen. And you will feel it in your heart that it's not for you if that is the case. Mm -hmm. Father Steve? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think... Uh, it's just the voice. I mean, I think what he's describing is the voice of the world. Um, we, we as Catholics, as Christians, so often forget um, that, that on the cross, Christ died to make us holy. <laughs> uh, we're not worthy because we think we're worthy. Um, we're worthy because he's decided we're worthy. Mm -hmm. And whether he's calling us to the priesthood, to religious life, to married life, to consecrated singleness, he will give us all of the gifts we need he has already given us the gifts we need, but he will give us all the graces we need so that we can fully live into that step by step by step with him. Wonderful. Your website is cpps-preciousblood.org. Correct. So again, cpps-preciousblood.org. Gentlemen, thanks for being with us, Father thanks for Steve. Thank us. you very yeah. much. This, was, this has been fun. Father Greg, thanks for being here. Could we, one of you, give us your blessing? Let's have the new yeah, year name do it. <laughs> Certainly. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Good and gracious God, we give you thanks and praise for giving us the gift of another day. We also give you thanks and praise for calling us together as a holy people. We give you thanks for the gift of our faith and for our own particular vocations and the graces that you give to us. We ask that you send your Holy Spirit upon us, that you may inspire us to carry out your most holy will in the way in which we live. We ask this through Christ our Lord, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thanks for being with us, friends. We'll be back tomorrow morning, Tuesday, November 7th, is Election Day. Go out and vote. God bless you all. We'll see you tomorrow.